0: Stat Media Group, delivering logistics news since 1986. This is Cargo Masterminds from Stat Media Group. It's Monday and it's time to catch up with our new Cargo Mastermind. Hello and welcome to Cargo Masterminds. My name is Reggie John. LATAM cargo is LATAM Airlines Group's business unit specialized in cargo transportation. LATAM, a leading Latin American airline, has presence in five domestic markets in South America and international operations, both within Latin America and to and from Europe, the US and the Caribbean. In 2020, LATAM cargo transported 817,000 tons of cargo generating 1.2 billion US dollars. And going by the available numbers, for the first half of 2021, LATAM cargo has generated 715 million US dollars in revenue, transporting 391,000 tons of cargo. The revenue figure is 25.3% more than that of the same period in 2020 and 34.3% higher than that of the same period in 2019. In addition to having access to passenger cargo holds of LATAM Airlines Group, LATAM Cargo has a fleet of 11 freighters, which will gradually increase to a total of 21 freighters by 2023. My guest today is Andres Bianchi, the Chief Executive Officer of LATAM Cargo. Andres has more than 16 years of experience in the aviation industry, of which he spent 11 years holding key senior positions in the cargo business of LATAM Airlines Group. In April 2017, he became the CEO of LATAM Cargo Andres. joins me in this episode of Cargo Masterminds presented by Cargo One to talk about the recent developments and some of the highlights of LATAM Cargo's performance through the pandemic. Andres, welcome to Cargo Masterminds. So glad to have you join us for this conversation from Miami.
1: Hi, Reggie, uh, thanks for the invitation. It's a pleasure being here with you.
0: Let's start with the latest available traffic numbers. And uh, these numbers are for the month of August. Uh, you had 240 million revenue ton kilometers, giving you almost uh, 62% of load factor. Uh, that is less than that of August last year, 2020, but better than August 2019. Going by what you have seen so far in 2021, what is your assessment uh, for the rest of the year the peak season is still ahead. I mean, when you look at our load factors, I, 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 the first thing is the fleet is
1: fully utilized. Given the way we fly our freighters, the types of cargo that we move, and the mix between domestic and international bellies, our load factor in the mid 60s, it's almost full utilization for us. So at this point, uh, we're flying uh, almost completely full. And that's what we're expecting for the rest of the year. I mean, the peak season is looking very strong. Uh, the combination of strong demand and still some restrictions on the passenger side are making uh, the peak season uh, look as a, a very strong uh, period overall, both in terms of load factors and yields.
0: Let me also get you to reflect and uh, share your thoughts on the performance in the whole year of 2020, the end the calendar year, and which is also the pandemic year. The net cargo revenue for 2020 was an impressive 1.2 billion U.S. dollars, I think... Uh, you didn't have that kind of revenue figures in the last four or five years. And that is more than just over a billion dollar net cargo revenue for 2019 uh, pre-pandemic. What factors led to such good numbers? Uh, Of course, cargo yields have increased significantly in the pandemic.
1: Well, first of all, I mean, 2020 was a very difficult year, a a, a tragic year. So even though the numbers are good, we find very few reasons to celebrate, actually. Uh, We would have loved to hit these numbers without having a pandemic being associated to it. So when you look at the numbers, basically I say the the, the improvement in revenues comes from two sources. One, it's obviously uh, an improved rate environment. I think we've seen that globally, and that's driven by this imbalance between supply and demand. But on the other hand, I think uh, it's, ba- it's basically driven by our team's ability to generate extra lift. When you when you, when you think uh, on our operation. Prior to the pandemic, about 50% of our capacity was generated by bellies. So with the massive cancellation of passenger uh, uh, operations and its impact on international side, especially, we were forced to look at new ways to generate uh, capacity and, and keep our customers uh, cargo flowing. And we were able to do this by increasing utilization quite significantly on the freighter side and uh, generating extra lift with uh, uh, with passenger freighters, of both standard passenger freighters and some things without seats. Uh, Overall, when you look at this, about 30 or 40% of the capacity we generated in 2020 came from this new sources. So that's that's also what's, uh, I mean, beside the rate side, what's behind the improvement in revenues.
0: How do you expect to close the 2021 calendar year in terms of cargo volumes carried, the load factor, and revenues? Uh, What are your projections?
1: Due to financial reasons, we cannot make any projections for the rest of the year in in specific terms, but overall, when you look at how the trends uh, are looking, we expect the year to close uh, very strongly. I mean, the combination of inventory shortages, uh, model shift uh, and obviously the growth of e-commerce are supporting uh, traffic growth. And while passenger tra- uh, capacity may recover going forwards because demand's improving and some of the restrictions are being relaxed, we will be, we believe that demand will still uh, outpace supply. So in terms of, of yields, load factors, things we should continue to trend uh, upwards. And in terms of our capacity, we are uh, bringing back to the 7.6.7s we had on C-checks uh, through the low season. Plus, addition of the first uh, of the new freighters that's coming in in December. So we should increase capacity uh, over the course of October to December on the freighter side.
0: Okay, I'll come to the uh, the additional capacity coming on board with the uh, with the new freighters joining the fleet. Uh, but tell us briefly about the innovations in cargo strategy over the last 18 months uh, became a pandemic uh, in March 2020. What are some of the important innovative uh, strategies that you rolled out? Well, I think the pandemic
1: forces to adapt very rapidly and very quickly. So some of them were innovations, but most of them, I would call them adaptations to a new reality. For example, we took a, a, a very thorough look at, a, a, at the whole of our network, trying to identify opportunities. To, to increase aircraft availability, especially by breaking paradigms that had been longstanding in terms of uh, which airports to operate or what were uh, the, the times that you had to depart certain locations to maximize uh, uh, loads. So w- we reviewed the whole network. We, as I mentioned before, we launched the passenger freighter program uh, at one point. Most of the available white bodies the company uh, had we're operating for the for the for the cargo uh, operation. So that meant we went from, as you mentioned, 11 freighters to operating at one point over 60 aircraft uh, in, in a given week. Uh, we also um, looked at at uh, ways in which to utilize the passenger capacity differently. We rolled out as um, as I mentioned some passenger freighters without seats, and we also opened new routes. For example, we launched in record time all the operation. Uh, China, we had never operated China. And that was uh, a very challenging process, especially as we we're bringing goods that were time critical at the time, like PPE or vaccines. And, and, and on vaccines, especially, we took this great uh, challenge of, of bringing them to, to South America. Uh, and so far, building up on our on the pharma expertise we have developed over the years, we've been able to ferry in more than 60 million vaccines. We've also carried over 120 million doses of vaccines for free in uh, within our domestic markets. So. So, so all, all, that was also a very uh, interesting challenge because moving pharma domestically at this scale wasn't something we, did, uh, we didn't we did traditionally do. But more importantly, I would say that what makes us the proudest is the fact that we were able to do this in the middle of a pandemic with a lot of uh, difficulties communicating because we had to work from home. Uh, leveraging the talent, the expertise, the processes, and the tools that we had developed over the last few years and so with the tradition of latam cargo so we're able to do this very quickly as i said earlier and we're very happy with the results because it was all done by our teams our people.
0: Let me just uh, spend some time uh, on your freighter fleet. You have 11 now and you would have uh, 10 more added 767 7, uh, uh, converted uh, freighters that would come in. Uh, your. You will have a total of 21 freighters by the end of uh, or through 2023. And the first of the 10 new additions would come join your fleet in December 2021. Is that right? That's right. Tell us also about what was the mix of cargo-only passenger flights with cargo-on-seat and cargo-only passenger flights with seats removed from the passenger cabin. How many of them did you operate and uh, in the last 18 months, and do you intend to continue such flights in the coming months? Perfect. Uh,
1: I mean, yes, we we started the program of passenger freighters, and uh, it was basically a reaction to, to the cuts, the massive cuts uh, that we were facing in in, in, in passenger capacity right after the pandemic. So we saw our customers are struggling. Remember, we bring a lot of perishables out of South America. Let's say 80 to 90% of the cargo that we built out of South America are perishables and our customers needed their goods to get to the market, right? So, so that's the reason we started the passenger fare program as a way to support our, 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 our customers. And, and I mean, passenger freighters are not the greatest economic proposition. And also you need to be very careful about the aircraft type you want to operate. We were fortunate to have the right aircraft types to to launch these programs. And we were also fortunate to have built a a very good uh, handling team uh, that had the expertise to maximize loads on this aircraft. We broke several records in terms of uh, reaching payload on on the materials or or the aircraft that we operate. So overall, we flew uh, during 2020 over, 2,900 passenger freighters, uh, and so far this year we operated over 1,500. And as I mentioned, we went from operating standard triple sevens and seven eights and seven sixes with their passenger seats on to, uh, in the end. Uh, Doing what we call light conversions on on four aircraft, which are the ones going into full conversion later uh, later on uh, to fly them without seats. So overall, we're very happy on on how this program performed.
0: You said there are there are four. You have light conversion, which is basically the seats removed in the in the passenger cabin, and the aircraft type is uh, is that Boeing Triple Seven Three Hundred. those are
1: Boeing Seven Six Seven Three Hundreds. Those are the planes that eventually go will go in conversion actually. One of them is already being converted. So we're operating three now.
0: So you didn't remove these seats, or you didn't do the light conversion in any of the 777-300s? We do 1777 and 178
1: at one point but basically because uh, it was the best way to bring PPE.
0: Andres, with the air freight capacity continued to be under stress, and it is going to be that way, at least from uh, from the general estimate, it is going to be that way for the foreseeable future. Do you plan to add more converted freighters of any size range to your fleet? Well, first of all, uh, let me
1: t- talk briefly about the story of the plan, because
0: this plan was
1: uh, designed and, uh, and pre-approved prior to the pandemic. So it's not a reaction to, some of the demand shifts and the lack of passenger capacity that we've seen because of the pandemic. It's more of a strategic decision of the company to grow on the freighter side. So the the plan was, as I said, uh, approved prior to the pandemic. We increased the size of the plan after because more feedstock became available. But the idea was to grow the freighter fleet because there's a strategic commitment on our end to grow it because we believe our markets uh, require additional freighter capacity. Now, we made the decision to grow with 767s because we believe that 767, it's the best aircraft type operate in and out of South America. We've been flying them uh, North America to South America for a long time. We've flown them in the domestic market in Brazil quite successfully in the past. And uh, in the last uh, few years, we've flown them uh, out of between Europe and South America with also uh, very good results. So the flexibility the 767 provides us and the match it has in terms of size and the markets we serve makes makes it the best aircraft. So At the time being, our focus is on growing uh, with 767s. Uh, We believe with uh, with the plan that we have right now, growing from 11 to 21, we have a a very good runway to grow and we don't expect to make any additions to the free uh, in in the near future. We, we, We may look at different aircraft types if something changes, but. Our strategic uh, decision is to grow with seven, sixes at the
0: time. And by 2022, how many add to your fleet? The first one is coming in end of this year. By the end of 2022,
1: we should have 15 aircraft operating.
0: With the kind of uh, passenger to freighter conversions rolled out, new converted freighters coming into market, do you expect, and also the kind of orders being placed, do you expect by end of next year, early 2023, you would have the capacity that is required? And do you look at some of these freighters as well? Okay, first we look...
1: I mean, we do our homework. We look at all the freighters that are in the market and, 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 and different solutions and what are the economics and how they would fit with what we plan to do in the future. Having said that, we, are, we remain convinced that 7.6 is the right option for us at the time. And, and also, when we built our model and, and, we, and we built our growth strategy, we built it thinking not on 2020 or 2021 uh, kind of economics, but on 2019 economics. Uh, because- we need to be prepared for, for any downturn to make this a sustainable fleet that's able to keep our customers moving their goods in, in good and bad times. So from that perspective, we are we're looking at those, we are doing uh, the math, we have some ideas of how some aircraft would perform for us, and if the right opportunity comes along, we might consider it, but at the, at the time, at at this time. We have no plans other than receiving our 10, uh, 767 BCFs and and rolling them out on the network that we have devised.
0: Andres, e-commerce in general across uh, geographies uh, is growing in double digits. Uh, This gives rise to a lot of cross-border cargo movement by air for e-commerce companies. Uh, How are you planning to take advantage of this rapidly growing segment uh, at uh, LATAM Cargo?
1: Obviously, e-commerce is one of the driving forces behind what we've seen in in recent uh, months in terms of of trade volumes. We are working on a set of strategies to serve e-commerce, and why why do I say a set of strategies? It's because we believe the e-commerce market can be segmented into different uh, areas, uh, both in terms of its geographic scope and the requirements the client has. you have to look at whether it's uh, cross border or domestic and, and, and the requirements associated to carrying the cargo, whether it's regional and whether uh, the client is, it re- for example, on domestic markets, they require airport to airport service or door to door. And in addition to all the network uh, and commercial decisions, there's also a, 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 a IT side of the story, technological side of the story in which uh, e-commerce is extremely demanding. And we're also working on Improving our IT capabilities to be able to connect um, better with our, our customers, and therefore provide e-commerce players with the uh, with the service they require. So we're working on, and, 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 and I mean, it's I don't want to go into details because some of these projects are confidential. But the idea is to provide a, a an array of options for e-commerce players to work with us, not a single.
0: Solution. Let me come to another important uh, cargo commodity, pharma and temperature controlled cargo, and it will be a significant cargo commodity, increasing revenue because of its high yield. Uh, however, the quality and reliability of service offered will make the difference uh, for any airline to be successful here. How are you building your pharma vertical capability so that you become a preferred cargo airline uh, for your customers for such an important commodity? Right, definitely,
1: pharma. It's it's one of the commodities we're taking. A, a, we're making a lot of work on it, and we started early on. We were the first airline to be certified CIB with CIB in 2017 in the Americas. We were the first airline, obviously the first airline to be recertified, and we finished the recertification process uh, in December 2020. So we've been working. This shows that we've been working in building our capabilities uh, from way back. We already have 40 stations. That uh, are pharma capable. I pharma it's a uh, let's say a network within the network because we don't sell pharma between O and D. We only use select O and Ds to be able to ensure that proper services provided. And this has led to a, a, a quite interesting growth uh, on on the pharma side. I mean, our revenues have gone grown three times since we started, uh, and I think that uh, it's a testament to our uh, both the and the shippers realization that we are a strong provider on this particular vertical.
0: Another important commodity for Latam cargo is a perishable, that you move a lot of perishable uh, cargo, basically flowers, fruits, vegetables, uh, uh, into Miami and to, to the rest of the, of the US. Uh, tell us how your perishable facility opened early last year just before the pandemic in Brazil, uh, supporting your perishable cargo movement, uh, and uh, how will you be investing more into the perishable facilities across your network? Right, perishables are
1: extremely uh, important for us. Uh, As a majority of the exports coming out of South America belong to this particular group, either salmon in Chile, flowers in Colombia, or vegetables and asparagus in Peru. So opening, I mean, keeping a robust set of uh, uh, coolers, and facilities to support other movement is critical to our success. That's the reason why we invested on the cooler in in Sao Paulo. The idea of that cooler is to enable us to connect uh, cargo coming from other countries in South America to our network originating in Sao Paulo, which is basically a passenger network. As a consequence, the cooler hasn't been fully utilized uh, in 2020 or 2021. But as we expect our network to start recovering during 2022, uh, obviously volumes into the cooler are expected to increase. Now, we are extremely committed to keeping uh, state-of-the-art facilities to support growth on the, on the perishable side and to providing not only the cooler facilities, but the processes to make the transfer of this cargo, which is quite sensitive, uh, very swift in our, in our facilities. And also, we're working on certifications to also uh, replicate what we've
0: done on the pharma side, on the perishable side. Will you be going for the IATA yeah. Fresh certification as well?
1: Yeah, we went. Uh, we were, we piloted it, and
0: uh, we are working on it.
1: And also, it's important to mention mention on the perishable side that we're making a, a another commitment, which is also supporting the perishable business with very sustainability practices, because we believe it's also critical for the success of our shepherd going forward. So, working, for example, in reducing uh, residues or waste that uh, may impact the environment for our recycled materials or uh, blankets that can be reused, for example. So it's, it's improving the overall proposition overall.
0: Okay, LATAM also has been uh, one of the biggest airlines moving COVID vaccines around the world, and it's been one of the airlines uh, brought in uh, several millions of doses of vaccines into Latin America. And you did something that is really uh, Notworthy is your solidarity plane program by which you, uh, you transported more than, I believe it is 100 million doses of COVID vaccine, which is uh, 40% of the, or more than 40% of the doses administered in the region and 2% of the doses worldwide. Uh, this is something that you did free of charge. Uh, is this an ongoing program that you intend to pursue? Actually, it, uh, it, it's an
1: ongoing program and, and the updated figure is 120 million doses that we've carried free of charge. And and it's part of our commitment uh, to support our societies. Actually, the whole project, uh, the whole vaccine project was called Project Hope, which entailed carriage on the international with the standards that were required, plus all the domestic carriage. And that's uh, within the scope of the solidarity plan that you mentioned, which is a program that started 10 years ago. And the idea was to promote social, economic, and uh, development and especially in times of crisis. Unfortunately, our region is impacted by crisis uh, quite frequently, so we've carried goods for earthquakes, floods, massive fires. So this is a program that has been long going, and when the pandemic started, we figured that the best way we could support our communities was uh, using what we know how to do best, which is to move sensitive cargo rapidly into the region. And uh, we believe that
0: our teams have done an amazing job so far in delivering the vaccines. And as uh, digital strategy and transformation are going uh, are ongoing process, and they keep evolving to meet the challenges. Uh, what are some of your priorities to have a robust digital infrastructure for your cargo business? Well, I'd say that first of all, cargo
1: has changed, and IT is an integral part of your value proposition. So it's no longer only aircraft or ULDs or warehouses. The tech component to your uh, delivery, it's critical. And that's why we decided four years ago that it was time to engage on a massive uh, and dramatic change on on our IT landscape. And we uh, selected Coramis, which is Wipro's uh, cargo solution. We went through the cutover in June. And uh, for the international, we are going to cut over to the the domestic operations next year. And the idea is to build first a very solid architecture at the core that encompasses a cloud-based solution with a world-class uptime and the ability to start them plugging new technologies into the system. One of the reasons we chose Coramis is that it's, a, it's, a, it's sort of a very modern system. And we're gonna start rolling out now new customer-facing faces, uh, new customer facing interfaces to enable them to connect either via APIs or by using our portals and therefore make life for our customers simpler, uh, more efficient, and more convenient.
0: And just, uh, what is the status of the Kromis rollout? Uh, has that rollout been completed across your network? Uh, if not, by when do you expect to be completed? International was completed
1: uh, in June, by, by I would say by mid, mid-June. mid Most of, 90% of the network was uh, completely stabilized. By mid-July, 100% of the network had been stabilized and had transitioned fully. And we, we were pretty happy with the process. It's I mean, as most of these processes go, they are, there are some hiccups along the way, but we believe that, the, that that's past us and we are pretty happy with the way the rollout is continuing. As I said, we plan to roll out for the customer-facing side of the of the, of the system uh, on the fourth quarter. And uh, domestics are transitioning to uh, the new suite in uh, mid-2022. That means we're cutting over Brazil, Chile, Peru, Colombia Ecuador which is five countries, which very different uh, requirements, uh, during next year. And with that, the whole transition should be completed.
0: Capacity remains uh, very constrained and the freight rates are very elevated. Uh, as a result, you have a very higher yield. Uh, any sense of uh, when there will be equilibrium in terms of capacity versus a demand versus a supply? Well, first of all, if
1: there's one thing I've learned, never to make forecasts in the cargo industry because you always get them wrong. So. Having said that, I'd say that when you look at sort of the capacity side of the story, we expect international capacity to start normalizing, and by normalizing, I mean reaching levels close to the pre-pandemic uh, levels of 2019 by 2024, 25, and freight capacity should uh, grow with additional of, of all the fares have been running out in, in, in recent months. Now, whether that's enough to, to balance the market I think it's anybody's guess. I think the one stat that sort of I always keep on my mind is car Air- Earth is 1%, 1% or 2% of global trade. So any any small movements in terms of model shift can complete completely move the balance in terms of uh supply and demand. So we are we're keenly aware of that and we're looking at the trends that make shape. The future of of sort of the, the split between sea and air, and also the other thing that we are monitoring quite closely, it's it's uh, political and economic developments across the globe, and especially in our regions. Coming off the pandemic, there was a lot of uh, government support that was uh, provided, and, and and that probably has been one of the surprises how robust, for example, consumer demand has been. We need to see how that translates into the next few years as that support gets withdrawn and needs to be paid for. So we're trying to figure out how those two forces balance each other to see where, where demand's gonna be and how the long-term or medium-term uh, supply and demand equilibrium uh, finds itself to be.
0: Do you expect uh, from the current uh, scenario on the sh- container shipping uh, prices that is underway, do you expect some sort of a movement uh, from sea freight to air freight happening uh, as we approach the, the peak season? I'd say
1: definitely we're seeing that, that kind of movement and that's reflected on the type of commodities we see on planes, which are sometimes commodities that are very odd, to be in a plane or in sometimes we've never actually seen them before. So, so I think uh, that's the way it's playing out as shippers find themselves in the need of, of alternatives to sea shipping. Now, whether a lot of that stays going forwards, I think it's it's questionable, because some of those commodities are are, are they're natural ways of transportation, you see. But other commodities, I think, will find a different balance and will try to probably look for a mix between air and sea more than uh, a, a unique sea solution.
0: Andres, uh, it was such a pleasure talking to you and uh, thank you so much for your time.
1: Thanks to you, Reggie. It was a pleasure. They say.
0: That was Andres Bianchi, the Chief Executive Officer of LATAM Cargo. That's it from us at Stat Media Group. We bring Cargo Masterminds every Monday. Thanks for tuning in and come back on next Monday for a fresh episode. Have a nice day.